Welcome to Beyond the Sermon. I am Pastor Dave Rudat from Emmanuel Lutheran in Shirley, and today I want you to know that this show is brought to you by Lake Michigan Strait. It is coming to you, whether you want it or not. Uh, it's coming in a nice, cold, crystallized form, four to eight inches sometime today. It's already there, out there. Enjoy it. Um, I, uh, I I saw my wife out there earlier today, and I said it was love at fr- at snow bite. There you I, go. I am not. Our first I, one. You couldn't even wait. I couldn't wait. Couldn't even wait. I couldn't even introduce the other guys. I just had to get that one out there. Uh, joined here today by Pastor Will Harley uh, in the caves at St. John Maribel. Yeah, good to be with you. Um, since we're telling jokes and and since we're we're able to do those types of things, I just wanted to let you all know that uh, I've decided to uh, change uh, how people refer to me. I would like to be uh, known as transparent with my pronouns being who and where. <laughs> and David, I don't know what's going on. I <laughs> would... We are also joined by Pastor Dave Endorf from Brooklyn Park, uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Lutheran Church in Brooklyn Park, Brooklyn. Come on. I can't think. What is it? Do you have a park or not? Brooklyn Lutheran Church in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. You do have a park. Okay. Sorry. Yes. It's right there at the church. Yes. And, And I have no jokes for you this morning. And given the two that have preceded me. You're welcome. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. That kinda that kinda hurts me right here. <laughs> so today oh, we, we should are, really talk about something good. Yeah, we would yeah. Today we're looking at Epiphany and the baptism of Jesus. And since I moved Epiphany and these brothers of mine said, you know what, let's talk about the baptism of Jesus, which is their their prerogative in Christian freedom, what Sunday to do on what uh, on what day or what uh, festival to celebrate on what Sunday. So let's begin. I'm looking at uh, Epiphany. So we had uh, the wise men visiting Jesus in Matthew chapter 2. We had an interesting Old Testament text, uh, Balaam blessing the Israelites as the Israelites are coming out of Egypt and and talking about a star that is coming up, uh, a scepter that's coming for for not just for the the Israelites, but also for all people. So it was kind of a neat tie-in to Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, being for all people. But my text was from Romans chapter 11. So Will Harley, yeah, there we go. Okay, Uh, I'm speaking to you Gentiles for as long as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I'm going to speak highly of my ministry. Perhaps I may make my own people jealous and save some of them. For if their rejection meant the reconciliation of the world, what does, it, what does their acceptance mean other than uh, dead, the dead coming to life? Oh, this is cool. All right. Um, then, verse 28. In regard to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but in regard to election, they are especially dear for the sake of the patriarch, because God's gracious gifts and call are not regretted. For just as you were once disobedient to God, but now you have been shown mercy due to to their disobedience, so also now they have become disobedient, so that by the mercy shown to you, they may be shown mercy too. For God imprisoned all in disobedience, so that he may show mercy to all. So the sermon theme, the overarching idea, God wants everyone to receive his mercy. And so the first part uh, really talked about how um, he has reconciled the whole world 
in Christ, and the second part dealt with because the whole world is guilty apart from Christ. So the first part of the sermon was really illustrating that concept of reconciliation. I used a picture of the two mountains, and then I perked all their ears when I said, okay, imagine, because it's the Bears-Packers playing last Sunday, imagine the Bears fans are on one mountain and the Packer fans are on the other mountain. You know, there's animosity between the two. There's a big gulf in between. They can't be friends. They have to be the mortal enemies. And then now picture God on the Bears mountain and us on the Packers mountain. And then I just waited for them to, to react and like, what? What? God's a Bears fan? What? What? And then I said, well, that got your attention. So then talking about the, the only way that God can bring reconciliation between himself and us is through Jesus. And Jesus is that bridge. And so um, that is really the, um, the point of that concept of reconciliation. And then I did talk about how Paul, the sermon begins by talking about how we're pattern recognition. We use pattern recognition when we're dealing with people. Sometimes we, we, we look for patterns. I told the story of a rancher who can uh, look at the patterns of his calves and cows and tell if something's wrong, if something needs his attention, but he can't uh, notice the pattern in the wallpaper what, that his wife picked out for the kitchen. So sometimes we're we're good at pattern recognition, sometimes not. So when we're looking at big groups like the Jews and Gentiles, sometimes our um, pattern recognition isn't correct. Um, we look at another another group and look down on them because of this, that, or the other thing. Or we look at Christians and we say, well, by their outward appearances, um, they're not really a Christian. But uh, it's not the reality that is there because of God's word. So the um, the that was a segue into Jews and Gentiles. How do we look at the Jews and the Gentiles, and how does Paul look at the Jew and Gentile? And he said, "This, these are both people that have been reconciled in Christ. Both were um, participate, participants in the, the are, both were witnesses of the suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ, both Jew and Gentile, and then also both are recipients of what Christ has done. That's the first part. Any questions on that? Yeah, the only thing that you got me stuck on was <clears throat> when you used the example of how do we rectify that situation between the Packers and the Bears, you hunt the Bears. <laughs> Reconciled. In a quiet, <laughs> quiet night in northern Wisconsin, you can hear the Bears cry. Yeah. So then the second part, uh, was I... Paul really gave me gave me an opportunity to talk about what's going on over there in the Middle East, and then the second part, the focus was the whole world is guilty apart from Christ. So we we have Paul talking about uh, how should we regard the Jews because they rejected Christ, right? And Paul's like, no, we should show them mercy, just like God has shown them mercy by preaching Christ to them, and just that reminder of we're living in a country that is saturated by voices that would like to say that God has still has some special. Um, plan that he's going to convert all the Jews before Jesus comes again and how some of that is driving some of our foreign policy here in America of wanting to help Israel because there are those who want this mass conversion of the Jews and a reminder to us that um, they are just as worthy of receiving the gospel as anybody else, that everyone should be receiving the gospel because apart from Christ there is no reconciliation. Apart from Christ there is no way to heaven and um, there is no third way that God has somehow in his heart uh, it has favored toward the, the nation of Israel or the Jewish people because of the past, but that doesn't mean 
that he wants them saved. It doesn't mean that they're somehow they're going to get to heaven in a different way than the gospel, than believing in Jesus Christ as their Savior. So it, apart from Christ, we are all guilty. So apart from Christ, everyone is guilty. No one is a recipient of God's favor as it is. The only way that we receive God's favor is through Christ and the preaching of the gospel. So let's continue to preach the gospel. The world that we're living in is, is one where Jesus is the only Savior. The world that Paul lived in uh, is that Jesus is the only Savior. So let's be sharing the gospel. Let's not think that there's some other way to get to heaven or other way to get God's favor. That's part two. So, you know, I, I, I guess I keep going in my head, and, and this is just, um, I know it's different preaching styles and, and people do their different things that way, but um, Paul lends himself, I know probably out of all of the, the texts that you could preach, uh, Paul will lend himself more aptly to having a multi-part sermon. I wonder, though, and, and maybe maybe you can answer this because you, you did it. Um, did you find that the part one, part two kind of were similar? Did you find that maybe I didn't hit part one as well, and now they're only going to go home with the part two? Or, or did you find any of that struggle? I, I have no idea what they came home with. I know the Holy Spirit works through the word. Um, I didn't know for myself I needed those two parts just to keep those two thoughts separate. Um, those were two main points I wanted to make, is that, that we have found reconciliation in Christ. Um, and yeah, inherent in that is that there's no way outside of Christ. But then you needed some time to talk about what Paul talks about is in the, that second half in 28 to 32, where how should we regard them? And Paul talks about, yeah, okay, uh, the past, but... The only way to get them to get to heaven is through Christ. They're not going to, to heaven because of their past. They're not going to heaven because of what God did for them in the past or their ancestors. They're only getting to heaven because of Christ, so let's preach the Christ to them. I did completely kind of ignored Paul's play on word on the disobedience part. So if you're looking at his, that is like a, the core of his statement was like everyone is disobedient, so everybody needs Christ. And even if people rejected Christ in the past and were disobedient in the Christ, in the past, that still means they need Christ now. So they, they're, they're still on this side of, of uh, Judgment Day, so they still are in this time when they can be recipients of God's mercy, where God can forgive them through Christ and him alone. So that, that concept was, I thought, was a difficult concept to bring in to people who weren't not familiar with Romans. But so it's like, sure. this is a... Um, and that's a trend that he follows through Romans. And really, it's that last part that I always struggle with, because you have that whole background of Romans. We've got that divided congregation of of Jew and Gentile, where the Jews have been exiled from Rome, where there there has been such strife between Jewish believers and, and Gentile believers, where there's been strife between Jewish people who are Jewish by race, but not, but didn't accept the Messiah. Right. You know, and, and that's part of what he's addressing here is people who were Jewish by race, but had rejected Christ. And so it, it's not that, it, it's not the strife within the believers in Rome. It's the strife now between the, the Jews who are 
by race who have rejected. And so you've got all of that background going on. And and it's, okay, now we've got a, a separate set of problems here that we're addressing. And so there's so much background that I want to go into when I'm preaching that you, you got to kind of hold yourself back in it. But but he, you know, with all of that is so loaded, you know, okay, because Paul's saying to them, okay, I get it. You Romans, you guys are fighting because of the gospel. They hate you because of the gospel. But just remember, God loves them because of the patriarchs. And can you imagine listening to that as a, a first century Roman? Like, oh, yeah, I guess God does love them because of the patriarchs. And, and we should love them, too. And yeah. that seems the, pretty powerful. Go ahead. Yeah. One of the things I think is, is super amazing, because and, and, and it's just and thank you both, Dave's, for for, you know, just that reminder, the back and play of what's going on. And and I think also added to all of this is the simple fact that that Romans is one of those only churches that we have within the scriptures that seem to crop up without any of the apostles being there to start the church. And so a lot of what Paul is saying to the Romans and what later Peter will say to the Romans, are it, it comes almost like the gospel has worked ahead of us and we are now we're now coming and we're we're sharing with you information that we would have shared with you if we would have been there um when when the gospel first arrived but but you see this this gospel charge move ahead and and you see the natural inclination of man's heart right which is i'm forgiven i'm happy that i'm forgiven but what about them and 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 you see that um going on in that section here in, in Romans 11, you know, but what about them? And, and the fact that these Romans that he's talking to know the old Testament enough to be able to say, these are still God's people too. So when Paul makes that reference, you know, this is the the beautiful gift, right? Christ was made yeah. for and, them. And, yeah. and, and I think you know, in that statement, but they are, are especially dear for the sake of the patriarchs, shows, you know, the abundance of God's love. That when he calls somebody his child, it's not play acting, you know. It's, I love Abraham, and and these Jews who are born 2,000 years later are descendants of Abraham who are, who have rejected him. But because they are descendants of Abraham, and God loved Abraham, they're still dear to God. That's how loving and gracious God is. And and, and that's a great understanding of God to keep in mind as we look at this. Um, and connect it, connect it. I think you, you need to also connect that statement with the simple fact, though, that just because you are still dear to God doesn't mean that you are now saved and and entering entering into his his heavenly kingdom. Um, he is, you are dear to him. I mean, he wants you to be with him. He has given you the gospel. The, 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 the word still goes out for you, but if you still live in rejection. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was going to pick it up. Uh, uh, go ahead. Oh, the, the, the saying I heard from my mom was God doesn't have grandchildren. God only has children. Sure. Yeah. I, I was going to piggyback on what you said, Dave, or it was as you were talking about, you know, how God loved Abraham. He wants his descendants also to hear about Christ. You think of that also in a small way for us as fathers. God wants our children 
it's the same kind of love, the same kind of favor God has for his children. He wants the children of his children also to receive this, this good news of the gospel too. Because it's all in Christ. It's it's not when at the end of the day, it's yeah. all about Christ. It's not about bloodline or a particular person. It's all about Christ. God wants Christ for all people, and especially for His people who have been brought to faith in Christ. He wants His their children also to be found in Christ. Absolutely. But I, I think having that that contrast to that, you know, that understanding that. Uh, you know, the sinful nature has of God as a judge, as a, you know, you know the Jonathan Edwards sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God. No, not um, a lot of gospel in that sermon. Not a lot, no. But, it, you know, and it's different. You know, there's a reason Isaiah describes judgment as the alien work of God, because it is, because the, this is what God wants to be doing. This is what is dear to God's heart. This is, you know, what he is doing for the sake of his love for for Abraham. Not that he won't do the other stuff. And because he is also just and holy, but this is what he would prefer. Okay, so let's move on to the baptism of Jesus. So both uh, Dave and Will practiced preaching about the baptism of Jesus. So who of you guys is going first? Whoever did Isaiah, which would be Dave. Dave, Isaiah 49. Listen to me, you coastlands. Pay attention, you faraway peoples. The Lord called me from the womb. When I was inside my mother, he mentioned my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. He hid me in the shadow of his hand. He made me like a polished arrow. He concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will display my glory. But I said to myself, I have labored in vain. I spent my strength and have come up and came up empty with nothing. Yet a just verdict for me rests with the Lord, and my reward is with my God. But now the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to turn Jacob back to him, so that Israel might be gathered to him, so that I will be honored in the eyes of the Lord, because because my God has been my strength, the Lord said, It is too small a thing that you should Just be my servant to raise up only the tribes of Jacob and to restore the ones I have preserved in Israel. So I will appoint you to be a light for the nations so that my salvation will be known to the end of the earth. So with uh, Epiphany, the, the theme of my sermon was that Jesus is the Savior of of all nations. Um, so I, I used the, the opening illustration of a, a young boy who's helping his dad stack firewood, you know, and, and his dad gives him two pieces of wood and he says, no, I'll give me more. It's I can lift more. I'm a, I'm a big boy now. I can, I got muscles. So he puts more on and, you know, give me more wood. I can carry more. And he wants to show his strength and how much he can carry. And and it's that type of phrasing that is used here in Isaiah at the end. It is it is too small a thing. 
for for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob. That it, it's it's not enough. It, it's too easy a task. It's it's too light just to to carry one nation into heaven, and and so you're going to save all nations, and and that's what Jesus did for us. And and this is the promise of the servant here in Isaiah 49 that you have the first half of Isaiah where you have the the warnings about going into exile and the destruction of, of God's people and then the destruction of the temple and and then everything switches and you have the salvation and now and now you have the coming of the servant and and salvation and and then here it, it broadens even even beyond the delivery from Babylon and and it starts with uh you islands you distant nations where it's really addressing everybody uh, you know the entire world and so he talks about the work that has gone into into Christ into making Jesus and, and we see that from Genesis 3.15, the, the, the first promise of the Savior, all the way to Isaiah 7.14, the, the sign of the Virgin, to, you know, the, um, the birth in Jerusalem. But then he has this phrase, you made my mouth like a sharpened sword. And that's kind of where it gets us, because we like to think of Christmas as a, a cute baby. And that yet and yet the words of Christ and, and the word of God appropriately hurts and causes sorrow and causes repentance when we, we look at the things that we have done wrong. And it should. Uh, that godly sorrow leads to life. And, and so we should look at God's word and examine ourselves and, and see, you know, where we need to change, where what we have done wrong. And part of the reason we do that is not just to see where we have fallen short and where we can improve, but to see the greatness of, of what it means that Christ is our Savior and what he has accomplished and, and how great a thing it is that he restores and saves all nations to give God praise for everything that he has has done. Um, and so I, I talked about, you know, if you start doing the math, if, if you commit one sin per day in your life, which you know, I'd be good if I would just sin once a day, you know, and then you you multiply that by, you know, 365 days a year and you live, you know, like 76 years on average. And there's like 9 billion people alive right now. You know, how many sins that is. And then you, you think of that whole mass of sin that, that is laid on Jesus and, and why he cries out on the cross, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because that's what he got in exchange for all of his labor, in exchange for his life. This is what was laid on on him and what he received. 
but he paid for it. And, and so the, the judgment of God in the end was that he had paid for all of our sins and that what he got as a reward for God was to be raised again. And, and you have the verse of the day, you know, being those, those words, or the, the gospel acclamation being those words, uh, you are my son today, I have become your father from, from Psalm 2 about the resurrection, you know, that, um, you know, Jesus was always faithful and now that relationship is restored, you know, that worthy is the lamb. Uh, and, and so he receives that, that place because of what he accomplished and, and now he gets, now he gets us. And so that's what he's talking about here is, is that here, you know, what he wants out of all of this is us and, and that's his glory. And, and that's the amazing thing about God is, is what he considers his glory it is not the almighty power to, to crumble mountains, but it is, you know, his great love for the world to, to save you and to save me and so there's a place for for godly sorrow but it's a very small place because we also remember that our sins have been taken away and that we are washed clean and that we have a god who has done all of this for us and so then we we recognize that we have this message then that we get to share with other people, that there's nobody out there. We can't tell them Jesus died for your sins because he died for everybody. And we have this message we get to take to the ends of the earth as well, that we get to share with the, the people who need it. Um, Jesus loves you. We get to give them the solid foundation that the almighty creator of the universe has loved them this much that the um you know there's there's t-shirts out there that say you know be kind to everybody because you know people are fighting a, a battle you don't know about well we live in a sinful world everybody's dealing with the problems that come from sin you know so we share with them the solution to sin and because jesus died for every nation for all people we can share that message with every nation and with all people. And we get to do that because we're a part of every nation. And that's a wonderful position to be in as God's children. I had, um, go ahead, Dave. Oh, go ahead Will. no, I, that, I, the only thing that I was, a couple of things that I was thinking about, uh, the first one was though, um, you know, you, you talked about the double-edged sword um, and it just made me think, cause you'd, you'd made that connection to, you know, we're in that kind of transition period. So you made sort of the connection back to, to Christmas and I'm thinking, um, the song, I know maybe not biblical, but the song, Mary, did you know, right? That double-edged sword, um, the, the, the child Jesus, um, born that even in his, even in the, the, the sounds that he made as a baby, was a double-edged sword as the words left his mouth um, of what was truly going to happen and what needed to happen and what needed to be done as, as the suffering of sin needed to be taken care of the payment needed to be, to be handled in his body. Um, 
and and did she really understand that even when she made the confession of how great this was um <clears throat> and she sang her magnificat when uh she was visiting her her cousin um the other thing that I was I was thinking about, and I, I really thought that you did a very wonderful job, um, that the beginning install, uh, illustration of the the child wanting more, right? I, I, I can do more. Give me more. Uh, I can carry more wood. It reminded me of my daughters when they help when I'm, I'm getting wood, and they're like, I can carry more, Dad, uh, and, you know, keep piling it up, and I'll bring it inside. But then it, it just how beautiful, you know, that that – it wasn't just Jesus who died for the remnant or Jesus who died for the, for those who believed the Israelites who believed, because it wasn't all of Israel who believed, but there were some, he said, it's not enough. I want more. Um, I, I want everyone. I, I, and I want all of the nation of Israel and I want all of the nations uh, of, of the Babylonians. And I want all of the nations of, of the people to come and the people from before and that's just a beautiful picture that you painted. So good job. Thanks. So and, and go ahead, Dave. Well, and, and just to think of it that, you know, for us, when we say I want more, it's, you know, it, it, it it's to gratify the ego. You know, I want to show off. I want to, but for Jesus, it was, I want to save more people. I want, I want to be there for more people. I want to help out. I want more people in heaven. And I don't really get anything out of it, except I get more people. I get more sinners. I get more people who are going to let me down, who are going to need more forgiveness, who are going to apologize day after day throughout their life, who are going to forget me day after day, who are going to... And he still does it, and and he still says it, yeah. and and that's amazing. Uh, Dave, refresh my memory in verse six when it says, "I have appointed you to be." Is that the anointing language there, or is that what? What's the picture there? Is that why that's picked for the baptism of Jesus, the anointing part, or is it the polished arrow hiding in his hand? The, the humility. I believe it's the appointed, appointed part. Yeah. So it is a reference to the anointing. So there's a. Yeah. Okay. With you, I am well pleased. Right. Mm-hmm. So then it's a beautiful picture. Then at the earlier part where he talks about the one that he is well pleased is uh, is a weapon, a, a powerful weapon, but not a, a glorious from the outward appearances but only from what the words that he speaks that is he a revealed to be the savior of the, or revealed to be a glorious thing to revealed to be the son of God. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, and, and in looking at, at those, those pictures, you know, those are, are some of the things that I didn't really talk about too much apart from, you know, you, you've got that connection throughout scripture of God's word being compared to a, to a sword, but like a, a polished arrow, you know, th- this isn't something that we, we really have much of a, a parallel with, but just to have, you know, like if you're a, a hunter and, and you have a favorite arrow that's been lucky for you that, that you keep because, um, because you don't live in a disposable society where 
you know, you can go out and make all kinds of stuff or, or you can just go to all these and get, you know, a, a pack of ground beef, you know, that's the kind of thing that, that is being talked about here. It, it's not necessarily a picture of, um, you know, a, a focus on destruction or, or, or something like that, but more of, I have this useful item that that's helped me in in accomplishing my job and in providing for my family and and all of those things. And so I, I keep it in my quiver because I'm going to need it to defend my people, to feed my family, to do all of those things. Um, I think that's a really good way to look at it because, you know, when the, when the scriptures mention um, the use of a sword and they mention the sword language and they mention the weapon language, I think, and even, even in the old Testament, when you, you see the value of chariots and you're thinking, what's a, who cares about a chariot? And, and like you said, you know, we live in a disposable society where there's, we don't have that value in pretty much anything that we have. It, it, we use it and then we throw it away. And, and then, Back in the day, I mean, and even for us, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, uh, we were vastly in a different place than we are now. You bought something and, and you, you, you took care of it because it's got to last. I mean, and so when they had, when they had the, and when you're thinking about even the hunter or you're thinking about the warrior or, your, or the bowman, you know, <clears throat> that arrowhead was expensive to make. That, that was not cheap. You, you couldn't just go and grab a packet of five for 20 bucks and screw them onto a, an aluminum shaft. And, and there you go. I lost all my arrows, but with an expenditure of $60, I got them all back. Um, you, you couldn't do that. I mean, there was, it was just a much longer and more expensive type of, of replacement. And so I, I, that's neat that you would, you could bring that out. Um, and like you said, maybe you didn't get a chance to talk about it as much, but but maybe to be able to share that with, with God's people, you know, some of those beautiful pictures that the Old Testament have uh, about those things is because of how cherished they were, because of the the time frame that they're in. All right, moving okay. on. Go ahead, Ord. I keep. Oh, I was going to throw up one more. Yeah, the the one other other reference I, I didn't point out was in four. You know, you, you do have that time in Jesus' ministry where everybody deserts him and, and he turns to Peter and, you know, are, are you going to leave me now too? And, um, you know, and so you have twice in, in Jesus' ministry where he is abandoned, you know, once when it's almost everybody uh, except for the apostles and then once when it is everybody, and, and he is alone on the cross. And and you think about how um, he knew that was going to happen. He un understood the loneliness that was going to be a part of his ministry. And, and that, that really was something he knew going into it. This was not meant, it was not a vacation. You know, nobody nobody plans vacation and says, and part of my vacation, I'm going to have these two times where I'm going to be incredibly lonely because everybody's going to abandon me. It'll be great fun, you know, and then Space Mountain. You know, just, I'm really glad I left heaven for that. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. the plan. Yeah, I agree. 
All right. Should we move on to our our last Romans? So, um, uh, speaking of of the epistle lesson, so sticking with the baptism of our Lord, uh, <clears throat> we turn our attention to the epistle lesson for this last week, and that was Romans chapter six, one through six. Um, and so we read. What shall we say then? Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. We died to sin. How can we go on living in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by this baptism into his death, so that just as he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too would also walk in a new life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. We know that our old self was crucified with him to make our sinful body powerless so that we would not continue to serve sin. For the person who has died has been declared free from sin. And since we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And we know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, he will never die again. Death no longer has control over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, also consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Um, <clears throat> so my, I had been coming off of a, a pretty, pretty tough week. Um, actually, it'd been a couple of weeks up to that point of some things that I was dealing with with some some instances um, within the congregation and and not necessarily with all of the members, but just with some of the things that had been going on and they were, they were aggravating me. And, um, it sort of came to a head in this, in the preparation for this sermon. Um, my sermon theme was, um, some, something real. That was, that was my, my sermon theme. And, um, I kind of just introduced it by saying, you know, many times the criticism of pastors is that, um, we, we don't, say anything that has any connection to real life. We don't say anything that has any real relevance. Um, and that sometimes we are way up here and the rest of our members are down here and, and we talk about old things and they want to talk about new stuff. And, and we always talk about doctrines, but they don't really have an application. Um, and, and the list went on and on and on. And, and I said, so I, I wanted to take an opportunity to, to tell them something real. I, I want to, if they can, if they, could accept and realize what is real. Could we, could we try it? And so I, I started um, listing that our life is temporary. I don't know how much more real you can get. Our life is temporary and that there is going to be a time when, when we will, we will have to punch our card and, and it's going to be over. And I said, and during this time on earth, it's not fun and it's not pleasant and we are suffering and it's, each person may be a little different of what they're suffering. Each person may be struggling with their a different thing, but they're all going to struggle. Um, some of us, it's going to be we're struggling with other people. Some of it's we're struggling with ourselves. Some of it we're struggling with with our health, or we're struggling with our job positions, or we're struggling with with um, 
our own shame, our own guilt from the mistakes that we have made. Some of us are struggling with with depression and anxiety. And I said, I, I think there's people around us. Maybe it's the kids who are anxious about you know what's going on in school and growing up. There's adults who are who are anxious about about their life and living and just the world in general. I said, people are depressed, and some of them you know, and some of them you don't know, and some people you might be sitting to look like they have it all together. But they really don't. And when the lights go out at night and they're sitting in bed trying to get to sleep, all they're being haunted by are all the wrong choices and all the mistakes that they made. And I said, and we have widows and we have widowers who are in our congregation who are, are dealing with the loss of a spouse that they have never gotten over. And how dare God take them away? And I said, is that real enough? And I said, is it real enough to, to, to realize that, that some of us are angry? And I said, myself included, that we're angry, not because someone made us angry, but because everything that has been going on, because people have not been doing the things that they should have been doing. They're not living the way that they should be living. They're not, they're not performing the way that they should be performing. And it has aggravated you to the point that you are now angry. You've allowed yourself to be angry and you're living with that and it's controlling your life. And that's all you can think about. And, and I, I went from there and I said, it becomes what Paul has said and how, what Paul connects with in our lesson that evil and sin and the sinful nature is, is not just this entity, which we wish it was of something that we just have uh, bad choices or that we, we just made a simple mistake, but it is something that is a ruler. It is, it has gotten power over us and continues to try to exert itself in our life. And I said, and it's there that the waters of baptism, which are equally as real, come into play. Because our Savior, who has died for sin, and we, we like to talk about that, how our Savior died for our sins. And we like to talk about how our Savior carried our sin. And I said, but yet, what does Paul say? Through the waters of baptism, he takes two real events. He takes the event of Christ's death and his resurrection, and he connects it to a real event of, of water being applied with the word of God. And he says, not only is Christ going to carry your sin, but he is going to take it into himself. He's going to become it. And he now takes you in the waters of baptism, and, and he, he takes that sin that is ruling in your life, and he doesn't just take that, he takes you with it, and he, he sucks it into himself. And he dies and he rises. And like Paul says, you rise to a new life. You rise to no longer have your sinful nature have power over you, that it no longer will rule over you. And I said, it's not as if you are now free um, never to sin. It's you're free from sin. In other words, sin is still there, but but it, it, it's not having the power over you like it did. It doesn't have its sway over you like it did. And I said, you know, and I struggled with that. And I, I mentioned it throughout the, throughout the weeks that I had been building and it had been building and it had been building. And, and, and I needed to hear God's word here in, in the Romans because as the Lord spoke to me, he reminded me as Paul um, so beautifully says, as Luther so beautifully had reminded us, you know, every day we need to go back to the waters of our baptism. Why? Because in the waters of our baptism, that ruler of our sinful nature, that, that ruler that wants to have nothing but focus on myself and perpetuate my anger and, and highlight my shame and judge me for everything I've done wrong is put to death. 
is carried not by me, but carried by someone else away from me. And even though he hangs off the side of the horse, never trying to get, never fully kicked out, even though he keeps bubbling back up because we can't keep him down for long, the waters of of our baptism, they drown him again and again. As we are reminded over and over that we are connected to Christ in his death and we are connected to the new life that is ours through his resurrection. And it is very real and it is is very life-giving and it is very life-changing that I am not controlled by that sinful part that never wants to leave, that I am no longer held sway to its judgments and to its, its raving and its ranting and, and its accusing. I am now freed in Christ, and if I'm freed in Christ, I am free indeed, and I get to live. And I, I mentioned that in the sermon so beautifully, you know, as in the gospel lesson, our, our Savior walked into the Jordan, not because he needed to have forgiveness of any sin, but because my sin needed to go somewhere. And so he links us to himself in those waters. He opens up heaven as the Lord, his father uh, shines down and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Why? Because he's linking himself with me and with you in the waters of baptism, and he's carrying our sin, and he's imbibing our sin. And as Paul will later say to the, to the Corinthians in his second letter, God made him who had no sin to be sin. Not just carry it, but to be it, because I am now in him. And, and then I receive his righteousness. And that was pretty much my sermon, and I, I ended it, the, you know, I can't, the, the way I ended it was, there was no third use of the law it was just very simply, is this real enough? And that was it. Amen. You know, we uh, use oops. we use Romans 6, 1 to 11 as a triumphant text on Easter Sunday. And it's, it was really neat to see how Romans 6, 1 to 11 is also there when we're in the midst of struggling with our sinful nature because it's still a triumphant text. It still is a, a text that reminds us how real uh, this thing that Jesus did is and how real baptism is, which links us to yep. what Jesus did. Thank you. Yep. I, I my, my congregation, um, I was probably more passionate than I am normally, and I'm normally probably very passionate in my, my preaching. I'm bombastic, but um, um, my... my <laughs> I had a lot of my members say, um, Pastor, are you okay? <laughs> um, they, they, they could tell that I had been struggling with something. And, um, and I was. And, I, and it's, I, the problems don't go away. The things that you struggle with don't go away. But I'm, um, after the opportunity to preach that sermon and have God's word and his, his law condemn my own sinful nature and once again crucify the ruler that tried to assert itself and once again my my god come into my life and rule uh, my heart and mind um i i'm i am in a better state um than i once was and so um to my members who are listening as they or as they listen after this um, yeah, you know, the, the problems haven't gone away. I'm still going to have to, with the help of the elders and, and the council and, and the like, we will, we will deal with some of those issues. Um, but they are no longer going to hold sway over me um, as they did in the aggravations that they caused. Um, 
and the anger that I allowed to well up inside of me. I think that was, yeah, you know, it gets out of control sometimes. And, and then sometimes you're presented with the, with just the right text at the right time. Right. Um, sometimes when you're preparing your sermon, you're like, uh, I have to force this. I have to really think about this to force it to apply to my life because I'm not that, but this one, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel there was any force. It was just the reality that I am, I'm no longer ruled by this because I'm baptized and, and there's truth and reality in that. And I will, and you're freed from it. So I know sometimes when I get emotional in a sermon, you people can recognize, like like I'm sure they recognize in your sermon as well, that you're slaying, that God is slaying your own dragon. Like you're, you say I'm, I say I'm slaying my own dragons here, but it's just uh, this is a text that's particularly meaningful to me. That and then they see you applying gospel to your heart as well, not just the law. Yep. Um, and uh, it's. It, it means that this uh, this thing that is called life is very real, and the gospel which God has given to us in his word is also very real. Yeah, and that old doctrine of baptism is still very relevant. <laughs> Any other thoughts or questions? Yeah. Glenn, I, I like the proximity of Romans 6 to Romans 7 because it's easy to use Romans 7 as an excuse to keep on sinning. You know, well, Paul kept on sinning. I could keep on sinning, but, you know, and this is a reminder where you don't have to. You're, you're free from that. And, and, and it's not, and there's hope in that. You know, it, it's not as a, a threat or, or anything like that. It's, no, you're not stuck. You're not hopeless. You're not frustrated. There's there's something more. There's something better. There's freedom. And, and that's what Paul is talking about here. Well, and that's and, what your sermon was about. Yeah. And, and the beautiful part is, and I didn't even get a chance to talk about it, and and I could have, is is coming off of, of um, chapter five, you know, Paul brings up that where sin increased, um, God's grace increases all the more. And and he, he kind of heads off that preemptive question that everyone would have is, well, then why don't we just keep on sinning? Because then more grace is going to come and and we're helping God out. Um, and, and he says, so should we do these? In fact, that's the way he started. And I didn't get a chance to talk about it because I was kind of racing to the the new life, racing to the... Um, the, that ruler no longer has rule over my life because I have someone else who has stepped up and taken those reins. But that, that beautiful part of, of, I don't have to keep on sinning. So God's grace will keep on increasing because I'm naturally a sinner already. I don't need to be allowing the ruler to continue to say, ah, just do whatever you want and God will be okay with it. That that's, and why? Because I'm baptized that part of me is dead. Um, it, it is gone. It is, it, it is removed from its position on the throne and, and one other has now taken it. Um, you know, you, you kind of look in, um, was it bondage of the will? Um, as Luther so beautifully describes, um, how, how we are as people. And he said that, and I'm not going to use his, his language, although I think his language is, is very pointed and beautiful. He kind of says, you're a donkey, right? And you're ridden by, 
by one spirit or another. And, and how beautiful it is that, that the spirit that wrote us from the moment we are conceived is the spirit of our own sin. Is this, is the ruler. It's, um, I'm not going to say it's Satan because then we blame everything on him. It's, it's us. It's our own sinful nature that rules our lives. And it, it is so inverted on itself. And it, and it just, and then when it, we're not thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about how depressed I should be because I was thinking about myself because that's the opposite side of it, making us feel guilty. And, and then it's, everything's an attack and a front. And in that image of it's okay, I'm, I'm the donkey and it's riding me and it's, it's leading the charge into a place I don't want to be. And it's just making things worse. And then in the waters of baptism, it is our Lord who supplants that. Right. And he takes the reins. Um, because now I live in him and now I, I, I rest in him and I'm found in him and I'm freed in him. And, um, you know, there's just a, there's just a wonderful, there's a wonderful truth in those things. And, and I know people are like, well then go do something. I don't have to do something. It is done to me. Um, and, and I receive it. Um, and now I live in it because uh, it's it's been given and and that's that's the beauty i didn't have to work for it because if i tried to work for it i would feel guilty that i didn't work hard enough and now i'm back into the same place i was at yeah it really is not a sanctification text it is just, no it's a declaration here this is who you are in christ yep, yep. and that's what made it beautiful and and you could have definitely done parts and you could have definitely there is so much I did not talk about. Uh, man, you could have talked so beautifully about um, just the the conquering of death, uh, the the conquering that God has in Christ, um, and how it's once and for all for all people. Um, I'll have to save that for next time. Till Easter. Yeah, yeah. If I want to preach on it again. <laughs> Excuse me. Apologize. And you, you talk about how we're we're bent back on ourselves. It's it's making and an example of that is what you're talking about, making this a sanctification text. You know that okay, now now go and do this. But this is all about what God has done for us. And, and now you're taking what God has done for us, and you're talking about me again. Right. You know and. and and we're good at that. I'm good at that. And it, it's just for a moment, let's just worship God. Let's just praise God because you're free. He deserves it because he's yeah. earned it, you know? Yep. Yeah. It was a beautiful text to preach on. Um, I, I, I kind of felt the truly in the, and, and I, and you did a beautiful job in doing this as well, Dave, that, that preaching on the baptism of Jesus is is not preaching sanctification it's it's preaching really just i am justified because my savior has come and here he is and the heavens break open and they show him to us and in this simple act of water and word and in a means by which god gives his grace he links us to him um he does all the heavy lifting he does all the work um by his words i am pierced through and it wasn't enough that he goes after just me, but he went after everybody else in my congregation and everyone else in my community. So, yeah, it, to me, that's a, just a beautiful thing.
All right, folks. In, in the way he. Oh. I, no, keep, wait, I keep wanting sorry. to move on. And, and I was just going to say, and then the way he bookends the ministry of Christ with the the Mount of Transfiguration to have have that same message repeated because we just don't want to believe that somebody could be perfect, that somebody could be pleasing to God. And yet the voice from heaven says it twice so that we know with certainty that when Jesus died on the cross, it was not for his own sins, but it was for ours. Is, is and, and that's one of the things I love about the pericope. Is, is how it starts Epiphany with the, the baptism of our Lord. And, and then you have right before Ash Wednesday, Transfiguration Sunday. And so I always have that, that question, you know, do you want to celebrate Epiphany or do you want to celebrate baptism of our Lord? And it's like, yes. But I, I always have stuck with baptism of our Lord because I, I want the people to hear both both times. This sure. is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So that we then go into Lent with that. Here is God's son perfectly suffering for you. The active obedience is done. The passive obedience is starting. You are saved. And well, I have to add one more service. I, I had, I for I think the vast majority of my ministry, except for maybe one year, I preached always on the Epiphany. Um, and uh, I, I have to say, it was refreshing not to preach on the Epiphany, um, just because I think I had a tendency whenever I preached on the Epiphany to go back to that same old, the same old thing of saying, the wise men weren't there on... <laughs> Christmas, Christmas. <laughs> they came afterwards and um you, you kind of get that and and i don't know it just i i love preaching on that it's it's fun it's really a, a joy to preach on the epiphany and but it was um it was very uh freeing to focus on preaching baptism um and to the point where, you know, I had even thought about going into Lent, you know, uh, I think the 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 Synod has a, a um, one of their Lenten series out there that focuses on baptism. I'm like, I mean, I thought I just preached on baptism. Maybe I won't have to do that particular series this, this Lenten season. Um, maybe I can, check, uh, you know, kind of check the box for something else, but we'll see what we, we want to do. I mean, we underplay it. Um one of my one of my teachers so beautifully said the this last week um, we had a devotion and one of the devotions referred to remembering our baptism and 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 the very comment that one of our teachers said was so many people especially in the reformed circles they will maybe go through the act of baptism or they'll want their kids baptized but then that's all that's it it's forgotten and and there's just such a a great reason never to forget it right because it is something that has done something profound. So. It's the Wells Foundation uh, Latin series for this coming year. It's on baptism. We, we, on baptism. We looked at doing it for our rotation, but decided that we wouldn't be able to coordinate the sermons very well. So. 
Yeah, you got to pretty much do it by yourself because otherwise you sort of hop, skip, and jump your way around it. Yeah, there was another one that was out there. I know we're kind of changing top of the um, um, was it fifteen seventeen that that was highlighting um, doing Psalm forty two, um, and I'm like, you couldn't do this on a rotation either because you're supposed to be going verse by verse through Psalm forty two, and wow. <laughs> Yeah, that would be a really tough one to to be able to to get going. But yeah, that's it for the Beyond the Sermon. We're going to be meeting on Thursday, right? Covenant theology, right? Covenant theology, absolutely. And then next Tuesday, um, unfortunately, we will be out and about. We have a conference, and so we'll be increasing our own minds, learning more about uh, ways we can serve our people. And so we will not have Beyond the Sermon next Tuesday, uh, but we will be back for for next week, Thursday, for uh, continued conversations on what's the difference anyway on our regular Casting Nets time. See you then. Yeah. God's blessings.